Welcome to our City Council work session agenda for Tuesday, February 4th. And we are going to start with um, a review by staff on the boundary analysis and discuss the update to the Johnson County Fringe Area Agreement, and that is IP3 on 1.30. So, hello, Ann. Hi, good afternoon. Ann Russett with the Planning Division of Neighborhood and Development Services. So um, for this presentation, my colleague Ray Heitner and I have uh, prepared some slides regarding the fringe area agreement, which is an agreement that allows the city and county to coordinate on land use planning efforts. And for the past year or so, we have been working on an update to this agreement. Um, I'm going to give some background on the fringe area and our current agreement. And then Ray and I are going to go over the analyses that we've um, completed over the past year or so. Ray is going to discuss the build-out analysis. And then I'm going to discuss some areas that we'd like the council to consider, including in our growth boundary. Um, but to start, just a little bit of background on the fringe area. Johnson County does have land use authority in the unincorporated areas, and these are all of the areas that are outside our corporate limits. Uh, however, the state allows cities to review subdivisions within two miles of our boundary, and this two-mile area is known as the fringe area. And fringe area agreements allow cities and counties to negotiate land use planning authority and to, co to coordinate planning efforts. Here's a few maps that kind of show these different areas. This is a map showing our corporate boundaries. This map here shows the two mile fringe area in the striped. And this is, again, where the city and county coordinate on land use planning efforts. And within that fringe area, the city has identified a growth boundary. That growth boundary is shown here in the dark gray. And the growth boundary defines the city's potential corporate limits. It includes land that is anticipated to be needed to serve the city's growth over the next 40 years. And this growth boundary was adopted as part of our 2013 comprehensive plan. And this last map just shows all of these areas together. So our corporate limits, the fringe area, which includes the growth boundary and the dark gray, and then the, those remaining areas outside of that growth boundary. The current fringe area agreement was executed in 2006, and it is a component of our comprehensive plan. It outlines the jurisdictional review authority, as well as uh, provides land use policy guidance on land within those two miles, the, that fringe area. The current fringe area agreement outlines uh, the review authority for various land use proposals. Uh, the, the agreement is divided up by land within the city's growth boundary and land outside the growth boundary. The vast majority of the types of projects that we review in these areas are rezonings and subdivisions. For rezonings, uh, whether it's within the growth boundary or outside of the growth boundary, the county has the ultimate control and the ultimate decision. However, a review and recommendation is required from the city. And the same is true for areas both inside and outside the growth boundary. For subdivisions, review and approval by both the city and the county is required. So for land within the growth boundary, development is subject to our uh, urban design standards. So that includes standards related to stormwater, street design, and other public utilities. For areas outside that growth boundary, the county's uh, rural design standards apply. 
There have been some issues that we've identified with our current fringe area agreement. As I mentioned, it was adopted in 2006. Since that time, both the city and the county have updated their comprehensive plans, and that has resulted in some inconsistencies in the policy direction that's included in the plans um, versus what's in the fringe area agreement. This is, this is a timeline to kind of show how we got to this point. Um, so the, again, the, in 2006, the fringe area agreement was adopted. And then in 2018, the county updated its comprehensive plan. And shortly after the county updated its comprehensive plan, the Board of Supervisors submitted a letter to the city council requesting an update to the current fringe area agreement. In February of 2019, we had initial, an, an initial discussion with City Council on this update. And between February uh, 2019 and today, we've been coordinating with county planning staff. And we felt it was important to do a couple of different things as part of this update to the fringe area agreement. First, we wanted to conduct a build-out analysis, which is... Um, we wanted to determine if the cities exist, had existing capacity with our current zoning and our current land use politi policies uh, to meet our growth. And we also wanted to reevaluate that current growth boundary. So those are the two things that the rest of this presentation will be dedicated to. I, lastly, I just wanted to mention that in January of 2020, the Board of Supervisors did reach out and requested to set up a working group with two supervisors, two council members, and staff to help move the fringe area agreement forward. So with that background, I'm going to turn it over to Ray, who will be discussing uh, the build-out. Hi, I'm uh, Ray Heitner. I'm an associate planner with uh, Neighborhood and Development Services, as Ann mentioned. Um, so uh, Ann touched on this, but the build-out summary, the purpose and the reason why we wanted to do this is just to kind of get a, an idea of what existing capacity we have, um, both in the city limits and in the current growth boundary as it's currently situated. Um, we tried to get uh, an estimate for residential and non-residential growth or kind of in other terms uh, potential jobs and potential residents. Um, once we got our results from the build-out analysis, we compared those results to um, projections in the Johnson County MPO's 2045 uh, estimates for population and employment growth. Um, Overall, big picture, we found um, from our analysis that through 2045, um, staff believes that there is capacity within the city and growth boundary to accommodate um, projected employment and uh, residential growth. Um, I'm going to just briefly touch on the methodology that we used for the build-out analysis. Um, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this. but. Um, Essentially, what we used for the basis of the um, build-out analysis was um, we, we took vacant and underutilized parcels within the city and within the growth boundary. And this is a methodology that we borrowed from a previous study on, on vacant and underutilized parcels within the Riverfront Crossings area. Um, essentially, if, if a parcel was vacant or underutilized, um, its land value exceeded the value of any buildings or improvements on that land. So if we saw parcels where land value exceeded total improvement value, um, we assumed that those parcels were either vacant, in a lot of cases they were vacant, or 
um, underutilized. Um, once we kind of got our list of vacant and underutilized parcels, we applied either the uh, city zoning designation, if it was already within the city limits, or in the cases of properties that were in the growth boundary, we applied um, a land use designation based on the comprehensive plan or um, one of the district plans to, to assign density. Um, one note I do want to make, uh, we, we did exclude um, historic resources such as local landmarks, uh, local historic districts, conservation districts, and also the area of our downtown that is being pursued for designation for the National Register of Historic Places. Um, we did this as, as kind of a way to go about providing a conservative estimate, assuming these, um, these parcels will continue to remain in their current form. Um, so again, once we had our list of vacant and underutilized parcels uh, with the applicable either zoning designation or, or land use designation, um, we were able to dent, uh, estimate density based off of uh, the prescribed dwelling units per acre from that zoning designation or land use designation. Um, and also the square footage or the commercial square footage for non-residential uh, parcels. Um, we did apply a couple of discount factors to, um, to each property uh, just to assume that the entire use wouldn't take up the entire uh, base of the par par parcel or 100% of the property area. Um, once we had our total number of dwelling units, uh, we were able to estimate population based off of um, MPO estimates of 2.32 uh, persons per dwelling unit. Um, and we were also able to estimate total number of jobs um, based off of our non-residential square footage. So here's uh, an overview of the build-out analysis results. Um, you can see on the bottom there uh, is what the Johnson County MPO has projected for increases from 2017 to 2045. Um, that the MPO estimates about 23,000 um, new jobs for Iowa City uh, and 22,000 new residents. Uh, our build-out analysis showed that between the city and the growth boundary area, um, we could accommodate up to 38,000 new jobs and 61,000 residents. Here's a look, um, kind of breaking this down, looking with, at the analysis at the level of the city limits. Um, Again, keeping those MPO projections at 23,000 and 22,000 for jobs and population. Um, within the city limits, we estimated about 20,000 jobs could be accommodated. Um, we estimated about 37,000 new residents could be accommodated. Um, one note I do want to make about the residential capacity, a lot of that comes from the riverfront crossings area. So, um, about 24,000 of that 37,000, or roughly 65%, comes from that area. Um, so here are some key findings. Again, uh, as I just mentioned, about 65% of residential units are from the riverfront crossings area. Um, again, the city has capacity to absorb projected gains 
based from the MPO's analysis on dwelling units uh, and population. Um, and then just reiterating, using our kind of conservative approach to assuming that kind of downtown form would probably remain um, as is, we believe there's limited capacity for growth downtown. Just a kind of a quick look at uh, this analysis as it applies to the growth boundary. Um, we estimated employment at around 18,000 for the growth boundary. Um, so not quite matching the, the MPO's projections of 23,000. Um, but then we, we estimated 23,000 um, in terms of new residents for the growth boundary, uh, which exceeds the uh, MPO projection for the city at 22,000. So in closing, just kind of overall key findings here, um, land in the city and growth boundary, we believe can accommodate um, at full build out about 61,000 residents, um, which greatly exceeds the MPO's projection at 22,000 new residents to the city. Um, between the city and growth boundary, uh, we believe the um, city can accommodate about 38,000 new employees, again, this uh, greatly exceeds the MPO's 2045 projection of 23,000 new jobs. So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Ann, who's going to talk to you about growth boundary expansion areas. So in addition to the build-out um, analysis that Ray just went over, we reviewed our current growth boundary. Um, and Staff reviewed these boundaries and considered many different factors in identifying the potential expansion areas, which I'll go through one by one. We looked at potential gateways to the city, highway adjacency and access, areas where there was uh, planned commercial or industrial land uses in Johnson County, whether the area could be served by sewer and water, uh, adjacency to areas envisioned for residential or commercial development, and then preservation of existing sensitive areas or other factors that might promote future land development. So in total, we have five uh, areas that we'd like the city council to consider for inclusion in our growth boundary, and they're identified here in red. Again, the current growth boundary is the gray area, and then this whole area is the fringe area. Here's another map that shows these five areas overlaid with the Johnson, Johnson County's comprehensive plan, their future land use map designation. The first, the first area that we wanted to discuss is west of 218 off of Highway 1 and Sharon Center Road. You'll see in these next several slides, you'll see lots of maps that look like this. I just wanted to outline what you're seeing here. So this, this dark black line is the, is the area that we're proposing for inclusion in, in the growth boundary. The dark gray here is the current growth boundary. And then the colors, the yellow, the red, the purple, that's the county's future land use map. So based on the county's comprehensive plan, they envision this area in yellow for residential growth, the red for commercial, and the purple for intensive commercial development. Um, based on our current fringe area, the land use policy direction is to maintain agricultural uses in this area. Um, 
with, with the exception of those parcels that are currently zoned for non-farm development. So in terms of our kind of staff comments or concerns and the reason we want to include this in the growth boundary is that we want to limit commercial development in the unincorporated areas within the fringe area to ensure efficient land planning. We want to avoid leapfrog development. Um, we want to ensure that more intense commercial development has access to city services, water and sewer, but also fire and police protection. And lastly, we want to reduce vehicle trips to the outer edges of the community, which could result as, as development in these areas uh, occur. And directing commercial growth to to our corporate limits is a common theme that you'll see in, in many of these areas that we're proposing for inclusion in our growth boundary. Additionally, in this area, in this area up here, um, based on our Southwest District plan, there's an area um, that's planned for development here. And in our capital improvement program, there is a tru trunk sewer that is planned to be expanded and constructed in 2023, and that will open up this area for development. Including this area in the growth boundary will help to ensure that there's more consistency in, the, in that residential development pattern. The next area is south of uh, Route 218 and Riverside Drive. You can see here that in the county's comprehensive plan, they've identified this as appropriate for commercial development. This was actually a recent amendment to their future land use map. Uh, the, the county staff requested um, input from the city on that proposed future land use map amendment. We expressed several concerns regarding that map amendment. Ultimately, the Board of Supervisors did change the land use map and designate this area as appropriate for commercial development. Um, our current fringe area agreement, the land use policy direction for this area recommends agricultural uses um, with the exception of those parcels that are already zoned for non-farm development. So again here, we want to direct uh, commercial growth to areas within the city for the reasons I previously mentioned. Um, and I also wanted to mention that tonight there's a pending rezoning for this area um, that's on the, the council's formal agenda. The applicant has proposed around 30 acres be rezoned to, to commercial in this area. The next area is uh, north of Highway 6 um, near Taft Avenue. It's adjacent to the city's industrial park. Uh, the county's comprehensive plan for this area envisions agricultural to continue. Um, that is consistent with our current fringe area policy, which also recommends agricultural land uses. Um, staff would like to include this area because of its adjacency to the industrial park and we want to plan for potential future expansions of that park. The next area is near Herbert, Herbert Hoover Highway and I-80. You can see here that this is another area that the county has planned for commercial development. The current fringe area agreement um, recommends agricultural land uses continue in this area. However, it does allow limited commercial development for properties abutting the interchange. There is quite a bit of commercial land that's zoned for commercial in the county in this area as well. So again, we want to direct the commercial growth to the city. Um, 
And in addition, there are improvements to Taft Avenue that are planned. There are several years out, but this could make this area more desirable for, for development. The last area is off of Highway 1 North near Rapid Creek. This area is planned for residential development um, based on the county's comprehensive plan. And the current fringe area agreement recommends um, agricultural land uses continue east of Highway 1, and residential is allowed um, and can be considered west of Highway 1 in our current fringe area agreement. Staff has received a rezoning application for 115 acres west of Highway 1 in this area, and that rezoning application is going to be considered by the Planning and Zoning Commission this Thursday, so you'll be seeing it on a future agenda. Um, the, the, the city has actually received several uh, fringe area rezoning requests since the county updated its comprehensive plan. And so these applications seem to be responding to those changes in land use that are now in the county's plan. Um, and although the, in this area there is still a lot of development that can occur within the city in terms of the office park and the commercial development, we'd like to include this area in our growth boundary to kind of plan for potential future conflicts and provide more of a buffer between uh, future commercial development in the city and uh, large lot residential in the county. The, there are several questions that we wanted to get some feedback from the council on. Um, we'd like your feedback on the proposed expansion areas of the growth boundaries, if there are any concerns. Um, we, we are also curious to know if there are areas that you'd like us to consider that we haven't contemplated yet. And then lastly, um, as I mentioned previously, the Board of Supervisors did request a, a working group. And so we wanted to know if the council would like to um, start a working group prior to staff providing you with recommended policy language on the fringe area agreement. So that concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Anne, can you go back to the one that shows the overall growth boundary, please? Fringe area and growth boundary. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to go back to the questions for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the questions I had um, was related to like the commercial development that you mentioned that some of the ones that you, the city's looking at um, is converting them from commercial, that the county wanted to be commercial. I was really wondering like for the ones that we're wanting to capture, is there any more commercial outside or near there, adjacent to there, that the county, that we're not looking at, that the county would be still trying to make commercial or thinking to make commercial? No, th those are the, the three main areas that the county has identified as okay. commercial on their future land use map. Okay, all right, great. Are there any areas among those areas that have, that would be considered sensitive use or places that should not be built, such as wetlands or other areas that we would want to preserve within those areas? They're in the commercial areas or just in general? general. Yeah, there are some actually um, sensitive areas in this area 
there's there's woodlands and there's also a floodplain here. Um, This area has woodlands and a stream corridor. I think those are the main, the main <clears throat> environmental constraints. I think the, the county would have taken those into consideration when they updated their future land use amendment as well. Well, I, I would start by saying I'm, um, I found it interesting that it looks like within our own current city limits, uh, we have the capacity to accommodate growth for the next 25 years. Um, so that was interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, one, and it's especially interesting to me in that I, I think my concerns with, with the question of growth beyond our city limits have to do, one, with how will it affect our goals with respect to climate change? I mean, we, I think we have understand that as you as you grow out um, especially at low densities uh, that that growth may generate more vehicle miles traveled um, and so, so you're, you're ending up with increasing our carbon footprint in that regard uh, and then the other issue which which I've raised before in various settings has to do with the, the sheer cost of that infrastructure and extension, uh, depending upon how the land is developed, could over the long term uh, exceed the, the revenues generated by that land use development. So you end up, in effect, uh, underwater, so to speak, with, res with regard to the revenues versus uh, city liabilities. Now, I think you know, and looking into this issue, I've, I've, I've seen that there are ways, uh, you know, through consulting uh, with firms that are looking at, you know, there's, a, I think, a fairly broad understanding that that is a potential outcome with development at the periphery. And so, you know, professional firms are looking at that and trying to understand how do we avoid that scenario. Um, so, so my interest at this point would be to try to understand how if we were to incorporate these areas, which in some cases makes sense, partly because it seems we get into these conflicts with the county um, and, and in trying to control the outcomes more effectively, uh, we may want to grow anyway. But it does seem that the, the, the part of the reason we see growth on the edge is land is cheaper. And so there's always that um, temptation or attraction of developers to grow on the edge because land acquisition costs are less. Um, so it's, it's complicated, I think is what I would say, you know, kind of in summary, but it, it does seem to me if we are going to consider growth that we have, we, we need a better understanding of the consequences of that growth uh, with respect to the liabilities that it will bring. Uh, and also have a, an understanding of how it could affect our climate change goals as well. I would agree with, with what you said, John, and I think the thing that, that I kind of focused on in looking at this is in expanding the growth area, we're not 
we're not committing to anything as a city in terms of annexation or additional infrastructure or anything like that. I look at it from the perspective of it actually gives us more control in certain cases um, if, if we're talking about property that's inside that growth boundary. So we still have, you know, we still haven't annexed it, we still haven't committed to infrastructure, but in the meantime, we're getting additional control, which I like the idea of that. So um, it, I'm supportive of the, the recommendation of staff. I mean, you folks have certainly put the time and effort and the expertise into looking at this. Um, I guess the one question I have sometimes when I look at these, and that is, are the straight lines drawn just because it's more convenient to draw straight lines? Because I think sometimes of the topography and how the straight lines don't fit with topography at all in terms of wetlands or sensitive areas or forested areas. And so kind of you know, where that rationale is between a straight line and, and trying to accommodate different features of the landscape. So one of the things I uh, heard John say is um, with all of the growth that's happening, um, even within our community already, um, and then looking at this, you know, where we're going to be uh, possibly expanding, it is that infrastructure costs, which, of course, Susan has made it um, plain that that's something that we don't have to, we, we may never have to do it if that's not what we want. But I do think that it's, um, important to just mention that we do have, you know, our climate action goals that we want to really achieve. And so if we're, you know, acquiring more land, you know, what, you know, what does that really um, do? What are we really saying if we're acquiring more land? And because um, typically if you acquire something, you're going to but we're not acquiring. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's, we're just getting more control. That's, yes, that's the nice thing. We're getting control without acquiring because it's yes. not coming inside of city limits unless yes. we right. do we're an not, annexation. Right. We're not going to annex it, but right. um, which I guess my question is: Are we all, we're getting the control because that is good as far as the control? And thanks for making the no. point about yeah. we're not going to annex. Um, because I do worry about that is if we are, if it wasn't for the control piece, <laughs> then it may have another underlining um, uh, attempt that we're, you know, going after um, within some of these areas. So I guess with that being said, um, I would be more inclined to, you know, support staff um, um, on this matter here. Is there a connection between um, expanding the growth boundaries and annexation? Does it create some kind of expectation or lower the threshold for that to happen? Well, typically they, they are adjacent to our current corporate limits, and that's kind of you know the, the main requirement. But we also look at serviceability and infrastructure and costs you know, to the city to serve that area and other things as part of the annexation process. So it's not a guarantee. It's, a, it's another, another process. And it's not a prerequisite either that they be within the growth boundary prior to annexation? It, that is typically what happens, yeah, yeah. 
the item before you tonight um, is a county rezoning, but we're we're located directly adjacent to that. Our corporate limits are. That would be a property that would be eligible for annexation. So I don't think it it, it may raise some questions from property owners about future annexation, but it certainly doesn't commit us to annexing. Uh, this property and uh, you know I really encourage you to really think of this as a planning tool a planning document this is about collaborative planning between the county and the and the city here so when we're expanding our growth boundaries we're really saying these are areas where that, that require more attention particularly in light of the county's recent changes to their land use and for those of you council members who have been on for for quite a while you've known in the last year you've seen more county applications than you did probably the last two or three years combined so uh, as Ann mentioned we have another one going to PNZ I think it's going to continue to happen we really feel like it's important that we have a stronger voice in these uh, new uh, five growth areas here mm -hmm. and we do need to update our French agreement um, I, I think that's pretty important for us to do if the intent of this is to, for some of those areas, gain control so that it might not become or might not have the uses that are currently designated by the county in their plan, what's our next step as far as designating what we think is the appropriate use in the growth boundaries? How do we do that? Or do we? But it's that's part of the the Next collaboration time. with the county okay. when we go so we work together on that. This. Yes, because okay. you know just because there's commercial showing doesn't mean that there can't be, you know we can't make it more compatible commercial with what what we think. Um, obviously, in some of these corridors like the 218 corridor before you tonight, we would agree long term that's probably commercial property. It's it's interstate frontage there. Um, it's probably commercial, but it's really important to us that it's the right commercial so that when we are growing down in that area in five or 10 years, whatever it may be, that it doesn't, we don't have to build around it, right? We build into it and it's seamless as, as, as you could hope for. Mm -hmm. I know, um, did we want to think about which two counselors would like to be a part of the working group? Is there anyone? I would be interested. I, I would be too. Anyone else? I think Susan and John are, would be excellent representatives. Awesome. Sound like everybody's in agreement, so we have our two uh, council members that uh, be a part of the working group, so that'd be great. Anything else for Anne? or for staff. Can you go back to the questions, Anne? Have we sure. answered? I think you have touched on all of these. Um, okay. okay. I couldn't remember. But if there, I, yeah, if there are any specific areas that concern you or other areas that you want to look at, um, just let us know. Thank you. Thanks. All right. <clears throat> We're going to talk about IP number four from the January 30th packet. And this is the uh, fiscal 2021 uh, A to agencies grant funding. So I know, Jeff, you had a memo um, here. You want to? Yeah, I'll just briefly yours? describe what's, what's in that memo. We gave you first a history from FY10 to FY20 on the awards that we have provided through the aid to agencies uh, grant program uh, at the bottom of that table, uh, which is on page 33. 
uh, you will see not only the total grant dollars uh, for that program, but also the number of agencies that have received grants. And in the text of the memo, I called your attention to that because that's that's important to keep in mind. And one of the one of the historical trends that we've had is the constant pressure to add agencies to this program. Uh, so you can see from 10 to uh, looks like 15, we went from 15, we were up to 19 agencies a couple of times to 17. And then I described for you the changes we made in fiscal year 16. So in fiscal year 16, we changed, we upped the minimum award to 15,000. And we did that for two reasons. One, to make more impactful awards. And then two, to ease the burden on grant administration from our staff. And you can see we went from 17 agencies down to 13 agencies. Since that time, we've crept back up uh, to 18 legacy agencies and a handful of emerging agencies too. So the, the point of that uh, message is as long as you keep adding agencies to this process and the budget stays the same or even has a, a fairly you know, modest inflation factor, the average grant's going to go down. Um, that's that's um, simple math there. So the council just needs to recognize that, that the, the pressure to add agencies will never go away. Um, there will always be pressure to, to add agencies. And as you know, there will always be competition for the funds that go into this program. So hopefully that history was, was beneficial. Um, the next section, uh, details some of the ways we've supported agencies outside of the aid to agency program from fiscal year 15 to 20. Uh, you can see uh, those numbers which ranged uh, from 40,000 uh, up to this year what we project is 3.6 million and of course 2.5 million in the in the access center contribution there. <clears throat> I'm sorry that was a, that was fiscal year 20. Uh, so again, just important to know that we have been focusing more dollars to support community organizations and social service agencies. They've just been going through different programs, and some of those are programs that align with your, your strategic plan. At the very end of the memo on uh, page 35 of your packet, I just provided some scenarios to you so that you, when you determine your budget dollar, you can you can pick these, you can modify these, but you'll see the last two years of funding on there. Of course, the FY21 is when, when the uh, council decided to double the general fund contribution to that program. You can see staff's proposal, that's your FY21 budget proposal number. <clears throat> that hasn't changed. The proposal from HCDC, from the agency coalition, and then I threw three out there uh, that kind of filled in some of those gaps. As I told you before at the previous meeting, we don't need to, you don't need to worry about altering the tax rate to cover uh, any increase that you wish to provide. Uh, we are projecting a 36% a, um, general fund reserve, which is slightly over our target of 35%. And we can use that 1% cushion uh, to fund this first year and then uh, staff would make it a budget priority in future years to make sure that we don't dip back down uh, after fiscal year 21. Happy to answer questions. Uh, hopefully that information is helpful for your deliberations. Well, when I look at this, and um, as we all know, there's, there's more need than there is money, and that will always be the case, and, and the need continues to grow and with more agencies and organizations. Um, but I, I do appreciate um, 
the showing all the things that have gone, uh, all the expenditures and, and investment in the community outside of the aid to agencies process, because I think it's important to look at the full picture. And um, certainly we have added a lot to that with our affordable housing dollars over the years. What I would be interested in proposing is, is kind of a compromise between the staff proposal and the agency coalition proposal, and that would be, I guess, taking that modified scenario number one um, that's in the packet and upping the total to the 500. I think that it gives us a, a little bit higher than that kind of 2% average if you started back at 2010, I think is what staff had talked about. If you looked at that as a, quote, base um, and did a 2% per year, that kind of got us to where what their recommendation was for this year. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that, that the agencies can use more than that and can use a lot more, but I think we also need to look at this as literally in doing it this year, this is setting a stage for a, continu a continuation of our budget. Um, I mean, last year we did a one-time big lump sum and said, okay, that's just for one year. I think as we sit here now and look at the overall needs, we need to really look at this as, okay, is this something that is sustainable within our budget? Um, and yes, we've got good reserves now, but we also have the potential of some real lean years coming. So um, I'm comfortable going up a little bit higher than staff has proposed, kind of taking that um, in between be the agency coalition proposal and staff and landing on that 500. Scenario one. Yes, modified scenario one. I do appreciate seeing um, globally, you know, if I'll call it that, you know, what we've done uh, for the aid to agencies, um, fiscal year 10 through fiscal year 20. Um, I think that does show that we are doing um, what we can for the community. Of course, the the need is greater, or um, than what our monies has allowed. It's always a challenge because as we see some of the other programs that we've done, such as the, the winter shelter and the access center, which is gonna be coming, um, we know that um, the access center is gonna be uh, very novel um, and we are not exactly sure what that financial need could be long-term. I think we're set. We haven't committed a dollar for operations. That's on the county and the region. I to mean, do anything it, else. Right. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've been okay. very clear that we committed for capital costs and we've not made any commitment to operational okay. costs. And do for we the know if, if the operational costs is even determined what that'll be with the access center? We have a budget, but I think until we actually open and start operating, it's, it's probably going to take six to 12 months to get a real sense of what both the, the expenses and revenues look like. Um, so it's real iffy, but the county has committed dollars to it. They've just gotten a commitment from the region, which is the healthcare region, sure. um, for some dollars as well. They've committed to Lynn and Johnson County. Um, so I'm not sure what the gap is on that, but we've been very clear in all of our discussions from okay. Jeff's office and from my participation on the committees that the city's commitment has only been to the capital costs. I, I do have worries that the operational costs, as you say, is, is 
Oh, everybody's concerned. Yeah, yeah. everybody's. So I with with and I, I bring it up because I know that at some point we may be faced uh, with a request there, but um, because we do want to make sure sure that it is successful, uh, the benefits uh, for the community will be great. Um, so there are some un unknown things that I know might be coming down uh, the line. I am a huge fan of the of the agencies uh, um, that are listed. Um, uh, some. I mean, I, I know better than others, and uh, some of the work I, I can definitely attest is very important within our community, especially if we're looking at um, just the basic human needs and human rights of people within our community. And so that's kind of where I'm at as far as, like, the request. I, I mean, I can be uh, maybe a little bit in the middle. Um, but I will definitely, at this point, support the full ass of 641-250. What about I, the emergent? What oh. about the emergent? So, so that the 641-250 is the legacy piece. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And then we have the emergent emerging piece. Yes. Yes. So, if, are you referring to the HCDC proposal? Yes. Then? So I am. Are you including the emerging piece as well? No, I just refer to the HCDC for the legacy. The legacy. Okay. And the emerging, I would, you know, one of the challenges with the emerging agencies is um, thirty-three thousand. When you're looking at emerging agencies, that's kind of small. When it's a small pot. Um, and so it's 675 total is what I'm looking at. Maybe that's what I should mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's right. Yeah. Yes. I agree with Mertig. Uh, we should fund the full amount that HCDC asked for. Since I, I like their presentation last time, and it highlighted a lot of things that uh, personally I wasn't aware about it. And uh, as also I will second what Proust said about basic human needs. All those organizations are really serving basic human, human needs. And I think, uh, you know, I really, I was one of those uh, clients for many of them when I came new to Iowa City. Uh, and I think it helped me and make me the, you know, when I need it, it was there for me. And until I become really like self-sufficient, I, I know how it is, they are important and I use them myself. That's why I know like how it helped me myself. Uh, and uh, I think this is really something important and it will help a lot of people uh, and it will make our people self-sufficient at the end because you know, while you are working uh, low wage workers or you study at the community college or you are just new to Iowa City, you need this service. And uh, little by little, you will grow out of it and you will leave it to somebody else. Maybe we, we're gonna come to the point that no one need it and that's what we want. But as long as you know, there is need in the community, we have to really give them the full fund, the, the full amount that the committee requested, and I, I just think this is this is important thing that we have to do. And even I propose that the full amount plus two percent increase every year, because I think things are 
you know, until we see like clear picture that, uh, you know, there is no more like the, the needs in the community being reduced or anything like this. But I, I agree that we have to put the full funding, which is six, 675. I too was impressed with the the presentation and you know placing it within the um, in effect the economy our local economy and its effect on that as well. Um, I'm also very supportive of the, the the agency coalition approach because I think that and I know Susan you've talked about this this how well are these agencies coordinated and, and the, you know Jeff mentioned that they are increasing in number. Uh, and that potentially could and most likely would seem to lead to an increasing cost to the overall spectrum. So I think one cost control measure on that is having the coalition. I wish every nonprofit group, so to speak, or groups, you know, like in our arts and culture would have similar coalitions because I think there is a, um, a better understanding just like we have with, within our own city budget when departments are talking to one another, I think there's some benefit to that in terms of everyone understanding that no one's gonna be getting everything out of this thing and, and so we need to, in some cases, compromise. Um, you know, for now, I, I will support the, the HCDC proposal. I mean, I may be naive, but I do hope we are in, a, in sort of a dark period here in terms of where we are as a society, both at the local and national level, and that um, you know we will see improvements with regard to how we we take care of those in our communities who are most uh, exposed to trauma, which I think is really, in some ways, for me, what it boils down to. And if you don't address the trauma, uh, it doesn't go away. It, in fact. Can can it be accelerated and expand? So, it's it's. Um, I think in some ways this is preventative, a way of trying to avoid that trauma from growing. Um, but I do hope through conversations among the agencies uh, to help better coordinate um, the services they provide, that we won't see a continual escalation in the cost of the services. I'm also in favor of supporting the full requested amount, but maybe for different reasons. Um, I think that the coalition has done an excellent job of showing the council and the city um, their willingness to work together. I think they've presented this to us as as kind of an opportunity for a course correction. Um, not that things were heading in the wrong direction, but certainly um, we received input about the kind of competitiveness for dollars when the dollars are so limited, and for my Myself, I would be willing to increase the funding with the understanding that the the collaboration and the teamwork and the the evidence that we're being presented with and the the care and reporting will continue and that would be the expectation for for an increased funding amount and my my caveat for my colleagues would be this we would not entertain those kind of special circumstances that are completely outside the process or that would be in really really limited circumstances because what we're doing is setting up a path with more resources and what we know is relatively you know um, better access lower obstacles for those agencies that that would want to to come in and, and seek funding when they're new. So I think the emerging agency piece and the opportunity for 
more smaller grants is an important component relating to that, um, trying to lower the competition. Um, but that, that would be my, my request to the council is that the hope would be if we increase the funding, then we can reduce some of the angst and time and effort and um, staff energy and all of the expense that goes along with that with some of these kind of outside the box requests that we know will come forward. Because I, I don't think the, the need is going to be reduced overall. I, I think we're doing great things, but our community continues to grow. And we know that support from outside of our community, from what we've heard from the agencies, continues to be reduced. So I don't want to I don't want to be naive and think that we're fixing the problem, but I think we can rely on a system that based on the coalition and the commission um, seems to be working well and seems to be on a path for um, a careful and thoughtful process for allocating those dollars. I do want to make one clarification. Um, which one are you actually supporting? The 675. All right, thank you. I would support what uh, virtually everything that, that, uh, that Laura Burgess said and would add as well that the whole point, one of the whole points of working together with other communities on the access center is to provide services to people at presumably a lower cost and get them back into the community functioning at lower cost to a variety of city and county services, which may also then advantage the, the help help not just the economy, um, but cost to the city, cost to the county, and, um, and raise productivity. I'm going to go down just a little bit of a different road. Uh, I would be in favor of the HCDC proposal for both the legacy and emerging, but uh, mostly because of the fact that we've appointed these folks to that uh, commission. And uh, by appointing them, we trust their opinions and their decisions. And I think this one they did not take lightly. They gave a lot of thought to it. Uh, and we're concerned about these agencies that are out there that, that need the funding. And I think the... Uh, Agency Coalition Project gave a, a very uh, compelling report, which was very helpful. I don't think we'd realize that uh, the amounts had been stagnant for so many years, but yet the increase in the services that you were providing and the materials that you needed had increased so much. So uh, I would be in favor of, of going with that proposal. Okay. So Jeff, sounds like we are going with um, the full HCDC 675. Do you need anything else from us? All right, thank you so much. We will move on to discuss um, the strategic plan, uh, planning process for IP5. Jeff did make mention of this um, in an info Yeah, packet. just real, real briefly, um, it's uh, been recent tradition that after a new council is seated, we embark on a new two-year strategic plan. Uh, you can see the seven goals on the screen there. There's also a, uh, a page in your packet on 38 that has that same information. Um, typically, the council has spent uh, a couple of work sessions uh, reviewing these uh, seven goals, making modifications, and then within each goal, area, listing any specific projects that the council would like to see staff uh, pursue in that two-year window. Uh, with the budget largely behind us, we would like to uh, get started on that process. And I'm seeking a little direction from you on how in-depth uh, you want uh, the planning effort to be. Uh, in the past, we've used facilitators to, to help uh, the council craft their strategic plan. 
Um, and we've also had uh, work sessions outside of your regular work session, so maybe a half-day work session or um, <clears throat> something uh, off-site. I think we did it at Terry Trueblood once uh, to, to help uh, uh, get us moving in, in, in the uh, right direction. So based on conversations I've had with each of you individually, uh, and uh, my understanding is you, I, I I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of changes to these seven goals. There might be some refinement that takes place. I also haven't heard a lot of uh, push for new projects. Uh, if that is an accurate assessment, then, then I don't believe we need to hire a facilitator. I still think there would be value in having a uh, work session outside of your regular time and, and finding maybe three or four hours to, to review each of these and have some more in-depth conversations. Uh, but I think staff and, and the council, I think we could just self-facilitate that process uh, if, um, if, you, if you agree, we'll, we'll work with you offline and get that scheduled. But if you want something different, now's the time to let me know. I'm good with that suggestion. I am also. Mm -hmm. Me too. Okay. So, so you looked for something this. in uh, early March with that? Be okay? Yes. Okay. We'll just work offline and find some time. Great. Yes. All right. Thank you. So clarif clarification of agenda items for our formal meeting. Anyone have anything? I did want to make mention of item number 8C. That's the maximum property tax levy. Um, it doesn't state um, the next meeting. Uh, that That's when this is set in the public hearing, and that's for February 18th. I will mention that in the formal meeting. But I did want to just bring that up. And there is none. Oh, there's a few um, IP items listed, info packet items listed here. So we'll go to info packet uh, January 23rd first. Um, and maybe, I guess people can, maybe we'll have, um, we'll discuss IP2 first. IP2, this is a memo from the city manager relating to city uh, sister city information. Mm -hmm. Jeff, you want to give us a little information there? Yeah, this is a, um, follows a conversation that uh, uh, Mayor Teague and Council Member Salee and I recently had. There was a, an interest in learning more about sister cities. You may have heard of other communities that have sister city relationships with um, uh, folks across the globe. Um, we do not have a formal sister city relationship, uh, but many, again, many cities do. I gave you some stats on on that and, and even uh, cities in Iowa that have sister cities. It's a, it's a fairly large undertaking uh, to create a sister city. There's typically a council-appointed commission 
that would not only lead that process, um, but maintain the sister city relationship and steward that over the uh, over its lifetime. Uh, I've worked with sister cities before, and we certainly have plenty of good resources out there if the council wants us to to go down that path. Um, I would I would strongly encourage you, though, if you if you do to to get folks in the community get a commission you could start off with ad hoc if you wanted to um, but they need to be passionate about this because um, again it's not a two or three month commitment you're talking a, a commitment of decades um, so happy to answer questions but i think it's largely self-explanatory i mean those i mean my response in in reading it or my reaction to reading it is I think these can be incredibly beneficial um, relationships <laughs> to develop um, but I think it's clear that it I mean it takes the city it takes a lot of people in the community and um, probably at least a couple people from city council who really want to maybe dedicate a lot of time to helping some of that initial um, organization and and getting those commitments of people who really are going to stay with it long term. So um, it's not something that fits in my schedule of life at this point. Um, but if there's other people who really feel they want to take that on and see if we can get that real community involvement, then I've got no problem with it. I agree with Susan when I was reading this, and I've, of course, heard of Sister Cities before, and uh, I'd like to say that it's a very nice thought and, and a, a wonderful program. Uh, certainly helps cities and, and states to make connections with other parts of the world, uh, but I believe that Iowa City already has a lot of programs that kind of fit that bill. The Mandela Fellows Program, the UNESCO City of Literature, we already have connections, and I think it would also be difficult for us as a city. We're, we're such a melting pot. We've got so many uh, folks from all over the world, uh, wouldn't want one to think they were being slighted over another one. You know, how would you how would you pick it? And as Jeff mentioned, there's a lot of work to it. You can't just say Iowa City and uh, City A are now sister cities. Uh, there's a lot of work to it. And I think uh, we as a city, we have our transit study, we have our climate action plan. We've got a lot on our plate right now. Although um, I'm not condemning the program, it's a wonderful program, but I just don't don't think it fits like into our our plan right now. Sure. I, I think I, I I have time. I can I can be in that committee okay. nowhere. If somebody else, one of you is me, they just require to council. I think this is very very good programs. I read a lot about it, and uh, we're thinking all the time as Iowa City as internationals city where really this could happen. Especially we have people. We start having people from from different you know countries in Iowa City. And that's to build on that. We can do this. I read about it in, like, Chicago have, I guess, 23 sister city or something like that. And even in Iowa, there is many things and many, many across the country. And if we, if we really get the commission together, as Jeff said, uh, you know, and the people who are really passionate, they have to be passionate about this. I agree with Jeff on that, but I think there is many people there. There is some kind of uh, something similar to this, I guess, with um, the what's the group called, the lottery or something like that. Rotary. Rotary. Yes. Yeah, Rotary has a lot of. Yes, programs. they have like some similar to this, and I talked to some people you know, like about this, and I guess we will find people who are very 
interesting in become on the commission. We have many, many different commission, and since got all of them work very good, and we have a lot of people apply, and we never like we don't find people to volunteer on those commission. And I, I really support of it and want to do it. I've largely been on the other end of sister cities. When I when I was serving abroad, I would see ones that worked well and ones that didn't work so well. The ones that tended to work well were where um, cities found each other that had congruent interests or congruent programs, whether it was universities, whether it was businesses, whether it's not necessarily just nationalities, and that indeed there was um, a, a concerted effort and a commitment to continue working at it and and grow from these exchanges. So it's it's. Um, um, the ones that were essentially just on paper and maybe there was an occasional interaction w were more work than they were worth. Uh, but if there, there really is a commitment and both parties work at it, then it, it can be very beneficial to both sides. I liked the um, note in the memo about the UNESCO City of Liter Literature, and you all appointed me as the council liaison on that board. Um, and I, I was just thinking that if there are elements of the Sister City program that we really like that are the most appealing, um, you know, I just recently learned that the, there are a number of creative cities, the designations have been um, rapidly increasing, so there's a lot more cities that we could try and network with within that network support that we get by being a member. So if there are elements of the program that we think are really kind of what we would be looking for, I would recommend that we kind of go down that path and see what options there are first. And then if we can maybe build the inertia around kind of what we want those pieces to be. I'm hesitant to adopt the whole sister city idea um, without really knowing what our primary elements would be. That'd be my concern, especially on the kind of the staff bandwidth level. What do you mean by the primary element? You know, like like what we want to get out of it. Like, what do we think would be best for Iowa City about it? Uh, I guess it is normally that, that when I read about sister cities in in America in general in the U.S., it will be like uh, sister like really look the same, like how they can benefit from each other. But uh, you know, most likely. Uh, of course, people will benefit more from the U.S. than the other. It doesn't have money involved, but resources, and people will come and learn. Like, uh, yeah, and cultures-wise, and you know, uh, something like this. Maybe Iowa City will benefit from that. And but most likely, people who are from that is the end. They're looking for like to see resources, how things work. Maybe some group of people will come here and visit our facility and see how things work here so they can go and implement the same thing there. You know, those kind of things that I've I been seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I guess that the thing is, this doesn't cause a city like something or most likely. But usually, it will be like something we have. And they are, they are the same city, like agriculture city. Also, like another city that they have the same thing that we do here, but we are here doing it in like yeah. a development way. That was the part about the city of literature that seemed like an you know kind of an obvious match as we've identified yes, those communities that have that same exactly. If interest. you don't have if you don't have the same interest, they are not going to benefit out of it. Mm -hmm. If they need something that we really don't have here. Was the point, right? You know, that's really the main thing about it. Mm -hmm. I, I read a lot about it and very passionate about it. 
Laura, through the city literature, do you know, I mean, do they have kind of programs where cities kind of match up and do some things? Or maybe you're not into it far enough. You yeah, know, I, I, I think they kind of do. And I would certainly be happy to, to talk with um, staff, you know, John Kenyon, and, and get more precise information or even, you know, kind of bring it to the board as the council being interested in, um, you know, looking at having more of that city-to-city -city collaboration, right? Because it really is the network support that they provide that I think we could maybe use. I think it would make maybe more sense to start in that direction where you have an, a, an automatic connection through these creative cities, whether it's literature or whatever, and get more information on that first before um, But that's completely different. Well, I, like I say, I'm not willing to put the time in. I don't have the time, and I, I'm not hearing an overwhelming support. Maybe well, I'm I, not. I think it is something that needs to be driven by the community. And in, well, an individual at Moz. I mean, you're really interested in this, and and I think that's great. Um, I do believe cities are laboratories of innovation and creativity. And if you're interested in pursuing that, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I we hosted the. Um, City of Literature, was, was it like an annual convention? Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, um, that was an incredible event. It, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it and it brought, it brought my attention to these other cities that are part of that City of Literature network and I would, have lo I would love to visit some of them, they're fascinating. But um, I think it really does require someone who really is passionate about it and so I would say go for it. Yeah. So far we have city. So if, if I, did you want to say something? Uh, I was just going to note that maybe one other area of congruence with some other cities, if we pursue that, uh, since we do have a climate action plan now, could be to hook up with, try and hook up with uh, with other cities that are really focused on uh, climate change and different ways to approach that. Yeah. So it sounds like um, there is enough support. I do support this. Um, I don't know enough of what it means as far as what the city's investment would be. Like four people saying that. Well, I don't, well what are we directing? Yeah, I, know, I know what you're asking. Um, so you're asking what is the, like how do we essentially get started? No, like I don't know if I agree with it or not because I don't know what it entails okay. from the, the city's commitment. I love the concept, sure. but okay. just as far as like what we would do, I don't know that I'm willing to support that because I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm kind of go along with Laura because uh, as I'd mentioned, I think we always hate to duplicate efforts. And uh, last year uh, we had a group of Mandela fellows uh, from uh, like 20 of them from various parts of, of uh, Africa. And they were mostly concerned about climate action. And they were very curious about what we were doing uh, with recycling and those kinds of efforts. Uh, and, and they took that back to their country. They had a lot of innovative ideas about uh, food uh, and and doing things with food. So we already have that sort of base going. And the same with City of Literature. It's not just talking about books and authors, but, but sharing that sort of uh, knowledge about literacy and, and encouraging that in your communities. Um, Mandela Follow is part of, you know, is a program that Civic uh, do, like right. every year. I'm in the board of Civic. And if I knew that with the concept, this is completely different. You know, the Mandela Faro and another like programs that come by the state department is only like for certain cities and so that they can get, 
the you know the approver and sometimes even not every single person from different like kind of like in Africa you have from any country can join the mandala follow sometime we will wait for uh, we need like many people to come with mandala follow and we find out we end up by few people because this is through the state department and they go through a lot of thing but you know, this is this is completely different. I don't know. You go read about it. Maybe dig into it in more. This is, have nothing to do with Mandara or, or even the uh, city of Eritrea. Read about it if you want to, you know, like learn more about it. I'm very passionate. It doesn't cost the city money, which is the key all the time here for like something to be rejected. And if we have volunteers in the community who are passionate about it, we do have many commissions, a lot of commissions will, you know, uh, all the commission I mean, they're working very like wonderful. And those people like volunteer and nobody's get paid for it. And we being, we, I guess we don't so like that, any committee that that not working because where they cannot find volunteer. Uh, I'm passionate about it. If there is another council want to be with me, that's fine. As I, other than that, I can continue being myself, like there, by myself. So um, it does sound like, at least if, if I hear um, John and Janice correctly, are supporting this idea. I'm, I'm probably, I mean, I'm, interested but uh, not sure right now where it would leave. And, and again, I, if, if you're passionate about it, let's go, go ahead and find out more about it and see if it's possible. I'm not... I, 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 I don't want to discourage As the end of the scene, you have a lot of experience. I, I just simply want to encourage Maz to pursue it. I, I'm personally, at this point, also I, I really am interested in what other cities do, but I, with respect to the sister city concept, you know, you're going to have to lead it and convince me at some point. Sure. Um, but it, you know. Yeah. A lot of people. I, you know, this is when I came up with this idea. There is some people reach out to me, mm -hmm. and they said, "Why Iowa City is not have a sister city program?" And I, uh, you know, the first thing I said, "Are you willing to work?" on those kind of commission. People said, yeah, of course, we will. You know, that's why I know there is some people there and they are passionate about it. This is not something I brought it up from like nowhere. Uh, a lot of people in the community talk about it and they came and talk about me. I know like City of Madison just passed like similar program and I know all that. And after that, I went and read about it. And there is also as in your bucket you have a lot of good information. If you went to that website, you will learn more about it. But I will get you, John, on that, because I know that you like, like to, to learn more about other countries and cities. Maybe you're going to be my second person. <laughs> I think the key is, is really, and, and maybe you already have, you know, have those connections and have found some people who are interested, but I think in, in reading all the information that was here, what is absolutely critical is to get that large group of people in the community who are willing to dedicate their time and energy to this. I mean, forming a 501c3 and getting your bylaws and your board of director. And I mean, forming a 501c3 can take 
12 months or 24 months. I don't know with, with all those kinds of things. So, I mean, yeah. No, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. It, it could be just like a commission. Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong. I would not suggest we do it as a commission of the city. I, I think that brings too much of a workload on to city staff. And the one thing I got out of reading this is they highly, highly recommend that it's a 501c3 and, and that you have, uh, that it's really community run. Most so of them are commissioned through cities. And this is not taking a lot of time from the staff because, uh, the, the, you know, the... Um, the people who are volunteer, they are, they are the ones who are doing the work, just like the another commission that we have. Maybe a staff would be there sometime it, if we It's usually need staff time. Um, and, and there's a mix of 501c3s and, and commissions. I, I don't know this um, to be fact, but I would guess most are commissions of, of cities. Um, and with any commission, there's open meetings, there's minutes requirements, there's those types of things. And generally, the staff would be responsible for... Uh, staffing the meeting, maybe not necessarily chairing the meeting and participating in, in the planning activities, but at, at minimum it's going to be those duties to ensure that the commission is operating within the parameters yes. of state law. So it, it, it does sound like, um, at least from what, what I'm hearing, is that people want a little more information about this item, is that a fair? Maz, do you think you can bring us some more information on this? Maybe at a future? Like, what kind of information my, I can my, bring? My, I get my information from Jeff, all this yeah. information you have. My, yeah. I guess my idea. Sorry. I think for me it's that, that community support element, right? So if kind of coming forward with a proposal of what for people who you've identified or have come to you with that interest in doing it, maybe help frame up for us what that what it really looks like, right? Like what are they doing? What are their tasks? What is the work that's involved? Because before I'd be comfortable authorizing an additional commission because of the kind of the staff component and just how that fits into, okay, then are they recommend making recommendations to us and are there budget implications? You know, I'm not prepared for that right now. And so just maybe framing it up with that community interest, that's what I would be looking for. But, you know, as long as it is a commission, as he said, as Jeff said, uh, even if I brought those people and they said, yeah, they are willing to put the time and effort to the, those uh, in the commission and to be part of the commission, is still, as long as it is a commission and there is a city, as Jeff said, staff have to be there, maybe not to chair it, but to be there. And this will be like a monthly meeting, just like any another commission. And I, don't I think our, our existing commissions, as I understand them, have kind of like their charge, right? Like what they're supposed to be doing with specific outcomes in mind. And so that's the part that for our city, I don't know what this commission would be really aimed at, right? Because the Sister Cities program does a, a lot of different things. And so I think that community input on what they want to see and, and then them saying, yeah, we're willing to work towards those goals, you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm that I would be looking for. Yeah, but I think any commission that if we really agreed for the commission itself, as Jeff said, it have to have a staff, right, Jeff? Or, or if not at all, this is something else. But uh, at least for the commission that I've been in, a staff will come there so they can take a minute or something like that. 
Right, but I think that one of the very first things we do whenever we have a commission is we, we identify either by resolution or by ordinance what what the charge of that commission is, what the parameters of the program are, what are they going to be making recommendations, that kind of thing. So that that we would have to know ahead of time before we even get to the point of staffing a commission. Okay. I don't know what you guys need from me. I, I, I get the information from the city staff. As a yeah. council, it's not, I guess, my job to go and look and dig in the information. We always direct the staff to do it, to bring us some information. Now, I think as individual council members, if there's something we feel really strongly about, I don't think it's necessarily something that we can or should be putting off on staff to get that information. I think that is on us as individuals if there's something we feel really strong about that we want to convince oh. other council members of. Otherwise, we've got seven individuals throwing work at the staff. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we can, I mean, if we have an idea and we want, I mean, the climate action, you know, someone come with that idea, you know, brought it here, and then we direct the staff. So, I, If we have a majority, typically. I mean, yeah, the, yes, the issue we, is... Absolutely, yeah. if we have a majority. So that... So I guess my question would be is um, if maybe we can get more like a small presentation. I think it's very important for maybe the counselors to understand kind of um, what that charge would look like. You know, what are just a few things that we would find beneficiary, uh, beneficial um, by being a sister city, because I, I, I still hear counselors saying, yes, they would like to do this, but I need more information is what I hear. And so... I think we'll since there is four people agree, like not agreeing, like have interest, yeah. Yeah, I they, guess this is usually that I being seeing for any yeah. single things. If there is four people interest, I, they will direct the staff to come up with something. Yeah. So we can, after that, we can all of us, maybe we're going to have more people interest. I, but this is a strength now. Yeah, you're Jeff, asking I, me to go and do it. I think Jeff is We can gather more information. I know what you're looking for. We'll, yeah. we'll come back to you at a later date and uh, try to give you a picture of what it would look like if we had one. Okay, so what what would the what what's the typical charge? What are some of the programs that we might expect here in Iowa City? Um, we can go through and maybe pull out some annual reports from sister cities of um, uh, other similar communities, so you can kind of see what they may be accomplishing, um, and maybe give you a little bit clearer vision on what this could look like if you decide to invest the time. Sound okay? Um, sounds good. I would also suggest, and this is something, if we can find a couple of contacts that I would be willing to do, is to talk to a couple of other places in Iowa that, or nearby that have, that have these relationships and get a sense as to how much effort they have to put into it and whether they feel to what extent they believe it's worthwhile. Sure. Uh, included in that, particularly in the initial setup, some of them have been sister cities for quite some time, but maybe some of the newer ones, what kind of an effort they really did have to put forth and how many people uh, took the charge to develop it. Yeah. All right, moving to I, uh, number two, IP3 um, and IP4. This is the summer meeting schedule. And so Jeff did make mention uh, in, in his memo, and I don't know if people had a, uh, an opportunity to see the schedule. Um, 
Any questions or? Should I be? Works for me. Okay. Works for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was fine with it. All right, so we're good there. All right. Um, moving on to uh, IP5, memo from the city clerk, 2020 listening post tentative schedule. And my uh, only concern is I think next week is too soon for the first one. I, I think the last one that we had, Maz and I went to, and we didn't have anybody there. I think we have to really make sure that we're getting these publicized. And I think making a decision on it tonight and then holding it sometime next week isn't necessarily enough time. So that was my only thought. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with, with you, Susan. I I'm, would be interested in doing it in May. If um... it, Is there another time in February, Kelly, that you think we can oh, switch sure. it That's to? That's just a suggestion. I mean, okay. based on past sure. dates. Or even if there's ideas of location that I can check into in, in the, the meantime. I, mean, I think later this month or the end of the month is just fine. I just felt like that was a little bit too short, or short a turnaround to get a location, get a date, and get enough publicity out was my thought. I agree with Susan on that, and uh, I liked your suggestion for Pheasant Ridge and the Senior Center. I'm, I'm, I've done one at the farmer's market and also at a party in the park, and of course that wouldn't be in the February one, but they, they aren't very conducive really to... Um, talking to people, because people are mingling around all over the place, but I, I would like to suggest something on the south side, uh, like the neighborhood center um, on the south side district at some point in time as one of the sites, and I'd be willing to do uh, the May or the August. Who wants February? Oh, okay, I'll do, I could do February if somebody else will do February with me. I'll do it with you, Pauline. All right. And location? Well, let's first find a date. <laughs> oh, that's right. We're going to do February sometime. Um, and I can certainly, I mean, email, you wanna the, email the two of you and work, okay. work on a, a date. Because okay. we're looking at uh, Thursdays typically. Doesn't right. matter. Doesn't okay, matter. all right. Whatever works best for you. Right now, I'm looking at the 27th because <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Oh, we'll let Kelly coordinate yes. that with you guys. All right. Okay. Um, and then, do we want to go ahead and dole out the rest of the people? Can put it down tentatively, or I don't. No, I think we usually do it two or three, <coughs> weeks, two or three weeks ahead of time, maybe, okay. as people know their schedules a little bit better. All right. All Sounds right. good. Um, IP six. Memo from the Neighborhood Services Coordinator, Emergency Funding Criteria. I'd so like something to that Council oh, asked um, after the Houses and Homes request. So uh, Erica Kubli's here, can answer questions, but I think did a really nice job in pulling together some criteria from other sources uh, that, are, that are tested, if you will. And uh, staff, staff feels very comfortable with what's in this memo. I, I agree with uh, what Jeff said. I, I found it very helpful, and especially after uh, the events of the past uh, three or four months, um, it was very well thought out and, and should be more, uh, a little more clear and helpful as far as uh, any emergency funding requests that, that would come up. And um, so I think verifying the criterion and, and the process is going to be very helpful in, with any future requests. I would agree. 
I thought it was well done, very well done. This is kind of what I was referring to in talking about increasing the other funding is we have set criteria for right. what would be an emergency. So thank you, staff, for putting that together. Yeah, I like the fact that it, 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 it really clarifies the process for emergency funding request. I do believe that we have to have an emergency funding request um, opportunity for people. Um, things happen, um, and it may not be able to wait for a regular cycle. So um, thanks to the staff for doing this. Moving on to info packet. Is there any other items from info packet um, 123? <clears throat> Moving on to info packet 130, and we'll start with IP7. This is the memo from the city manager. Yeah, so um, surprise, surprise, we've got a change in plans here. <laughs> The uh, both uh, council members and school board members, we had more than a work group that was interested in, in participating in this discussion. So um, I uh, have changed my recommendation uh, and, and uh, have talked with Superintendent Murley and we think it's probably best just to advertise and have a regular work session, uh, a full work session. and. The majority, it looks like the majority of both the council and the, the board could participate. Um, we're limited in our window of time because we really feel it's important for the consultant to be there. So uh, Superintendent Murley pulled the school board and their preferred time is February 19th from 3 to 5 p.m. And I'm hoping that would work for at least a majority of you. I've heard from several of you that had um, time available. It doesn't work for me anymore it works for me works okay. for me so. is this a work session you said? it's a work session February 19th, three to five, it February doesn't work 19th. for me and I want to be there because well, you know if this is a work session I want to attend it I'm not available on that day uh, is there not do it on that door, or maybe you have you go back to the first plan. You have to like representative from the council. But if it requires all the council, it doesn't work with me. And I think you guys have to work with me, if it doesn't work with me. Well, I think when we're trying to schedule special meeting and we're trying to do it across two different entities, I think we all have to accept the fact that it's not necessarily well, going to. I'd like to finish, please. I, I think we really have to accept the fact that it isn't always going to work Wednesday. for every single okay. person. Um, and we have to pick what is going to you know, work best for the majority. I think it's unfortunate if it doesn't work for everybody. That's but it's, if he's saying the 19th, that's a Wednesday. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. February 19th, correct? February 19th. That's a Wednesday. From 3 to 5 p.m. here. 3 to 5 p.m., right? 3 to 5 on so, Wednesday. Yeah, it worked for me. Okay. Oh, it does, it does it work does. for you? Yes, it okay. does. Okay. Great. Yeah. So that would be here? Okay. Yes, that would be here. Indeed. Yeah, sorry. Okay. So that's Monday. Oh, it's a Wednesday. Um, yes, it's a Wednesday. Anyone else have any conflicts with that date? I might. I'm maybe traveling, but that's fine. 
A lot of what we'll cover is what we covered with you in a previous work session because the, the school board is not familiar with form-based code, so we're going to have to start back with them. The difference with this work session is we'll have the draft regulating plan. A regulating plan is, is an important visual that will give you an idea of neighborhood layout, uh, kind of concepts for neighborhood layouts. You'll start to see some proposed street networks. It just helps you visualize a little bit better on uh, what you may see after we have some subdivisions build out. But if you do miss it, if any of you miss it, uh, one, it'll be recorded by uh, City Channel 4, uh, but two, know that you've already received this information in a previous work session, a large portion of this information in a work session. Okay, thanks. Great. IP8, um, and this is gonna be happening next, uh, Tuesday, I believe, when we have our joint meeting with the UISG and GPSG. And any questions about that agenda? So happy to be joining you all. Yeah, we're very excited. Um, and I just wanted to give you um, all a few updates. So the meeting as a, I mean, I mean, it's been stated before, but it'll start at 7 p.m., but the room will be set up and ready to go at 6 p.m. So um, you all are welcome to come anytime before then um, or before 7 p.m. And um, as far as the length of the meeting, um, I mean, we don't have like a two, I mean, two hours is our hard Cut off, but I'm I'm guessing I think an hour will be plenty of time. Um, I know when Iowa State Student Government with met with Ames City Council, um, they just had their agenda scheduled for an hour. Um, so we'll probably try to stick to the same amount of time. Um, but yeah, as far as the draft, I just wanted to show you all kind of a, um, a setup of how the meeting will run, and then just some. Um, uh, possibilities for those new items and uh, yeah just wanted to know if anything stood out to all of you I know you had indicated last meeting that um, you wanted the agenda items to kind of be student selected um, but yes I didn't know if anybody had any feedback it's good solid all right it's good good looking deal. forward to it yes <laughs> looking forward to seeing you all next Tuesday you all should come too yes be very fun <laughs> great any other items from IP, um, I'm sorry, any other items from Info Packet January 30th? If not, we are going to move on to council updates for assigned boards, commissions, and committees. And we're going to start with uh, Councilor Weiner. So um, on sign. We, well, we had the, the MPO meeting that everyone participated in here pretty much. The one that I participated in since was ECOG, uh, and um, we essentially, it is, it's definitely an organization that, which was suggested at one of our last meetings that I, I, I would, just having been to one meeting now, I think it would be incredibly valuable if we can figure out how to change the term that one person sits on that board. 
because various other organizations have people who've been on it for multiple years. They understand how it works. They understand the budgeting. They have a much they have much greater insight than than I'm that I'm sure that I will gain in one year into how the process works and how we can be effective and be be our own. Um, strongest lobbyists in that organization and most effective lobbyists. So um, I, just having been to the one meeting, I, I can see why it would be extremely valuable to figure out how to change the rhythm in which, uh, which we change our representation on it. We, uh, basically we passed the budget, which was of course, to those who knew, we, it was, Sure, let's pass the budget. <laughs> but my real my real takeaway is that this is it's a it's a it's a region wide organization on which we will be better served as a city, I believe, if we have somebody who represents us for more than one year. I think having served on that, uh, what she's referring to is currently it's one year is the city and one year is the county, and we rotate that way um, because I, I was the rep on that for the four years, so every other year. So one year, and then I was off, and then I was back on again, and, and that was very confusing. Okay. Nothing since the last meeting. Thank you. Great. Um, I will mention... I don't know if you, did you attend the MPOJC? No, you know, I was gone we, I just wanted to mention we did get an update on the transit study, which I think, uh, you know, the Crandic line. Um, and uh, that, that I think is, you know, that analysis will be coming shortly. So I think it's timely because we're doing our transit, bus transit study, and this may have some, some relationship, you know, between the two. Um, and then we had our first economic development committee meeting, and uh, Susan will be chair. And we discussed the um, a request from the Riverside Theater, uh, and approved it. Yeah, had the EDC, and then we've had a Jack meeting and passed the budget. So. All right. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, well, just the economic development meeting. That's it. All right. In relation to the MPO meeting, back to that, uh, I want to mention that John was elected as, as the vice chair, so congratulations to him. <laughs> and uh, as he'd said, you know, there we'd discuss budget and transit and rails and trails projects. But I think what uh, was the most exciting thing for me was the very last item on the agenda. Uh, for those of you familiar with the Severson Challenge, uh, the city, Iowa City, and it had been a, quite a long time since Iowa City had, had actually received this award, even though I think it was somebody, somebody told me it was Terry Dickens that actually designed the trophy, and, and it kind of got started from a city staffer that was here, Severson. Um, but Iowa City won, so I wanted to congratulate all of the city staff that put a lot of effort into it, the fun things like the uh, ugly sweater contest and the donut hole challenge and, and the soup uh, lunch. It was wonderful, and you, you, your efforts didn't go unnoticed, and hopefully we're going to get the trophy. It was somewhere in North Liberty, but nobody seemed to know where it was because they were the last ones to get it. But but congratulations on your hard work on that. Um, I had mentioned in January when Bruce was making the assignments, uh, the chief elected officials board was still on our list of things, and I said I would check into that, and I did. And uh, with a follow-up on that, it, it has been... Uh, decided by someone somewhere that uh, only county supervisors would now qualify for seats on that board. So I don't know what it takes to take that off of our, if it's in our bylaws or what it is as far as our committee listings or just, just remove it from our uh, committees. That's all. 
All right. The only thing, I don't have anything local, but um, Mayor Pro Tem Maz, uh, Salih, and I went to the Mayor's Innovation Project in Washington, D.C., and that was January, um, it, it, was, it was just a week ago, and that was phenomenal. We left with a lot of information, and we're ready to uh, bring them all back to Iowa City and make us the greatest ever. Um, one of the things that... Um, there was lots of things that people talked about. Transportation, affordable housing, um, definitely were on the top of people radar. Um, and some more equitable things. Libraries are huge. Um, uh, no fine libraries, no fines in the libraries. Um, there's been cities that you know started with a subgroup and now they've moved total no fees and and they've um, had some data to sh support how positive it was um, no negative um, outcomes it was really in, uh, informative if you ever want to uh, look at my notes which I have lots of them just let me know but there were lots of great things that I do think at some point um, maybe through conversation I'll be sharing some of the ideas that uh, people did share from uh, city reports. I did get an opportunity to represent Iowa City and share um, and show off what we're doing here um, from a social uh, justice standpoint. And the questions afterward were uh, enormous. Um, cities, there are big cities and small cities, and um, some of the big and the small cities came asking us information. One thing that we're doing a great job on is getting data. And so that's um, kudos, kudos to the staff because they really appreciated the data. And I'll be sharing some of the data with um, many individuals that requested some of the things that we're doing. So wanted to share that. Anything else for work session? All right, we're adjourned. See you in at seven.